everyone, it's Emily Taylor and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Don't Look Down podcast where I am sharing brilliant inspirational stories with you, the listeners. Thank you all for the feedback and the downloads so far. I've had really, really positive feedback, which was my aim. Most people think that when you hear it's a mental health podcast, it's negative. It isn't. It's to show that no matter what you go through in life, whether that's depression, a life-changing incident, just dark times in general, it could be anything, not necessarily depression. The point and the aim is to show people that no matter what you can go through, there's a turning point and you can really turn the corner. Now, the next person that you're going to be hearing from that I really enjoy his company is a dear friend of mine called James Butler. His professional name is Doc Butler and he may also be known to many as James Woodgate um, as he landed a part in Coronation Street. I've known him for almost 20 years and watched him move from the tiny little village he grew up in to the Big Smoke to pursue his acting career, working extremely hard alongside his immense talents um, until he kind of landed a role on such a major soap watched by millions of people. He has a huge amount of experience in film, stage and radio. And he's also hilarious, one of the funniest people I know. So today's interview is sure to entertain. But it's not all about the positive. Um, We'll be talking about the life-changing accident that happened to James, which left him disabled for a time. But how he battled through with pure bravery, passion and courage. So I've had an absolute privilege and pleasure talking and seeing James again after quite a long time. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's sure to um, inspire people and show that no matter what life throws at you, you can fight it. There's also going to be some songs that... I will play at the end of the interview, so be sure to listen out for those too. So thank you for coming on the Don't Look Down podcast. I am over the moon that you're on here and you've agreed to share your stories and your immense talent yeah. as well. So a little bit of background. James... I'm not, I'm, well, one thing's for sure, okay. I'm not sharing any talent with you at all. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I need it all for myself. Yes, you do. You do for your auditions and bits yeah. and pieces that you do. Well, lots actually. Um so a little bit about James and I and our little love story. We met 
for probably 2001, a long time ago. Yeah, about that, yeah. Um, and we worked together um, at the Redditch Standard Newspapers. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Redditch and James uh, liked to remind me earlier that he was a little bit higher up than me and grew up in the tiny, lovely village of Feckenham. Yeah, well, the thing is, is like we, we yeah, there was, it was a tiny village called Feckenham, Feckenham, not, <laughs> not Fuckingham. Yes. Um, and uh, it's still Redditch. I mean, even when I was growing up, I didn't think it was, but I went to school here and everything like that. But I suppose the difference was is that we were poor, but I could go down to the stream and skim stones, whereas um, Emily could only go to the sort of, the lawn on the estate and skim fag nubs, I suppose. <laughs> it was the large park pool, actually. <laughs> the large park pool and yeah, skim fag nubs, you know. Saw many ducks. Yeah. Um, yes, so we, we grew up together oh, yeah, and then we worked Doc together. Butler, not duck. Butler, as people have, some people have said, or Dick Butler, that's another one I've had. Um, Seriously? Yeah. You had Dick Butler? I I'll say Doc. why I chose Doc, first of all. It was one, what, for, number one was Doc Holiday. I just thought... Cool. I like that yeah. actually. Doc Holiday. That's got a ring. And the second thing was, is my mom constantly told me as I was growing up that you'll never be a doctor, and I was like, I fucking will now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. This interview is going to have lots of humour in it because James is one of the funniest people that I know. I did a little um, upload on social media as I was going to collect James to bring him over for this podcast and. Yes, you are the funniest person that I know. And that is what I remember from us working together is the humour. Yeah. You made that office. I, did, I feel like you fast. did as much. I felt that this, I mean, you're not the only person who said this to me, but and I'm, not, I'm not being modest. I, I, know, I know I contributed a lot, but like the people there at that time were just really funny and they were all comedians. It's just that they didn't do it. They didn't go off and do it. Yeah. Like everybody was really funny. And, and in my opinion, I, I don't ever hang around with anybody who makes me laugh less than I, you know, yeah. I, I, I hang around with people who I find funnier than I do, you know. It's mutual. Yeah, yeah. I just want to watch them most of the time. You did a lot of piss taking out of me, that was for yeah, sure. Yeah, I did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was very funny. Um, yeah. What was that you were saying about the ghost? I don't remember the ghost. I remember the ghost before. Well, yeah, there was the, um, the whole ghost conspiracy of the Redditch Standard newspapers when Strange things would happen and kettles would boil on top of each other and spoons were like left in, in crosses on stairs. <laughs> we, yeah, we did, we did work, I promise you, but um, there was a lot of, uh, of that kind of stuff that happened where Pat Bullard <laughs> resorted coming down with the director. She was the director, yeah. And owner um, of trying to get people to own up, but it was you. It was me. I was pretending <laughs> to be the ghost. I remember, it's funny because I remember that was, it was the putting, putting a, making a crucifix out of a fork in the night. <laughs> that was it. I remember it. And everyone and the was stupid like, thing is, is that every, most people thought it was a ghost. Yeah, like, they, they did. thought it was a ghost. Like, people, and remember, remember Zara? Was, Zara was it? Zara? Yeah, she was like, uh, she was like, I'm telling you, I was walking down them stairs and I could fucking feel it. Like, I'm telling you. Like that. And then he was like, oh, Zara, don't tell me about it. Like, I can feel I'll get it really as well. Freaked out, I'm not, I, I go around the long way just so I don't have to go through that creepy corridor. But, and it was just me putting a kettle on top of a kettle. Like. But it went on for that long that people did yeah. actually start to think, is there a ghost? Yeah, that's true. Yes. So, yeah, there was lots Sorry, of Sorry, I won't interrupt like you for a while. No, 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 it was fine. There was lots of things like that, and it just made that part of my life and my working career absolutely. Um, hilarious and funny. Well, so I, I stayed well. there for 10 years and James um, left the 
small town that we live in to pursue an acting career amongst many of his talents to well that, that's work. actually that's actually slightly not right but you were there during a very difficult part of my life okay. but I just didn't really talk about it a lot and mm. what I did first was I went traveling and then decided yes. I wanted to act but I went traveling because I'd my nana got cancer I don't know if you remember this yeah I do and I was looking after her par partially anyway and um that really had a massive impact on my mental health. Um, it's still quite upsetting to talk about it. And mm. I realized I needed to go traveling and sort my head out. And I'd wanted to go traveling for a long time. And I didn't decide then, because she died. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I remember one time in particular, like she would just, she was like me, she was sort of stubborn. And she, she went, she used to go, she used to be like, don't go down the stairs to the porch, you know, that sort of thing, because you can't do, you can't do that anymore. Not the porch, mm. pantry. Yeah. And, um, and she, I remember, do you remember that day? And I was next to you and I had the phone in my pocket. Mm. Do you remember that? It was actually the home phone. Yeah, and I, I had the home I do, phone. Actually. And I, I just, my mum kept ringing me and going, like, don't the, the, we, do. we don't know. We Nan keeps ringing us and she hasn't got the house phone. So she, can't, she says, like, you had the house phone next. And I used to keep the house phone in my pocket so she could call me on her mobile so that I could go and help her. I do remember. And, uh, and I was like, I haven't got the fucking thing! And I just put, the, put it down and then I went up and then patted my pockets and there was like the, the, the phone thing. in my pocket in the office, yeah. Um, so that's, that, I went there, I, when I decided to be an actor after about two years of traveling, that was when I- And did you sort your head out? Traveling. Yeah, you know it's the greatest direction? thing. Because you always wanted to act, though. You yeah. knew that that was the path you wanted well, to go down. Well, if I knew you, I was more, I was more Music. a musician. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just. More can I just interject? Yeah. I remember. I knew you was talented because you draw, and I had all your drawings up, which I've still got to this day. And obviously, they were just new pictures of me. So. <laughs> they yeah. wasn't, but yeah, um, yeah. And I knew that obviously you was in a band with your brothers. And you invited me down to come and see you and you performed and did a cover because i love michael jackson anyway of dirty diana oh yeah yeah everyone used to think that yeah and i can remember watching that and thinking oh my god you guys are really talented and the passion and you put everything into that and i that performance really stood out mm, yeah thank you it i really used to did. i did used to put everything into it you I do it I, and I, I i do with everything and i've always been like that and that's the funny thing is is like even when i was doing sales for years in offices mm. I couldn't not try and be the best at that as well, even though I was having lots of fun as well, which I was. Yeah. The, the, I was always still good at my job. Do you remember our Beatles feature that we had in the, the Yellow Submarine yeah. feature that we did? Because yeah. we just wanted to do something different. To yeah, the and we both love the Beatles as of well. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so you went travelling, um, obviously to try and grieve for your nan, find your head. It was more an exploration of like what I want to see the world and I need to just get away from everything. I need to get and find myself. It was yeah. that cliche. It was like, I need to find myself. I've lost who I am, what mm. I'm doing. Nothing made sense. I was full of grief. Mm. Um, I was very depressed about other things as well. I didn't really know that it was just to do with my nan until yeah. afterwards, until having back. therapy. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was all related to other things and it was in a way, but I, I know now that the root of it is, was, my losing my nan and being that young how old was you then 22 22 yeah yeah and it was me living with my nan and kind of becoming more and more isolated as me and her as, as a picture and there was a lot of resentment for, for myself it wasn't like i i felt anger towards myself I, I find it very hard not to find anger to myself i don't feel like oh, i was there and i was a hero um i do feel like now one of the things i've accepted about that period is i accepted that 
someone told me they just went like, yeah, but other people wouldn't have even stayed there, James. They would have moved out. That's you very stayed true. there. You did. Because and I and I did, yeah. And that's the thing where I do actually pat myself on the back because I stayed there. And I'm sure if she was here now, she would say she'd be drunk. <laughs> drunk but very great no she was and I, the last thing I ever said to her was I love you and we gave each other a hug and we were really in touch with each other and really really good friends is the best way to put it as well yeah. she became like not just she became not just the matriarch of the family which she yeah. was she was and she was always fun but she but I saw her as a peer mm. because she let that out when she realized she was going to die yeah yeah, I associate with that. My, I, I was a lot younger when my um, when my Irish nan died, but I was absolutely devastated. Mm. And when that phone rang, although I was really young, I knew, I knew she died. Mm. Even then, because I've got a, quite a strong um, sixth sense anyway. But I knew. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and she was like a peer. I never got over it, and think of her all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah, there is, a, like last night I dreamt about her. I've written a song about that, actually. Have you? Yeah. Uh, I've actually started writing songs properly. Um, Have I'm recording you? music. That's starting brilliant. next week, actually. Um, and I, I stopped, you know, because I'm all or nothing. Yeah. With my women, with my, well, relationship, not, just, not with women. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but with everything, career, everything, I'm always like all or nothing. So I haven't touched music really much. I've been paid to sing a f quite a few times and, and help write some music brilliant. here and there in the past. But... It's the first time I want to do my own music, properly my own music, on my own, mm. and employ people and do it the way I want to do it. And I thought I failed at that. I failed at music, so I can't do that anymore. And I've realised as I'm getting older, no, you just fail and you keep picking yourself up. Of course you do. Yeah. That's it. It's amazing how wiser um, you get and how you, you don't Some beat people yourself. Don't. Some people don't. <laughs> you can't beat yourself up and think, oh, I definitely failed at that. I think you're a brilliant musician. You are. Yeah. Um, so you went traveling and then you came back and then you decided to think, right, I'm going to pursue this acting career. I was in the Alps when I decided, but okay. I, yeah, I came back. My friend had died. She was old, but she was a really good friend, very a mentor to me. And she died. She left me her car in her will. Oh. And I just literally got in the car um, and I used it for a while. I drove to the Alps and stuff like that. But then I got in the car and I drove to London, sold the car in London for the deposit. Mm. and then paid for the flat and then I started living there and straight away I lived with a guy two guys who are still two of my best friends and they're oh, both nice. they're both quite famous opera singers well one of them is quite fa is famous and he'd hate me for saying that as well but he was um, but he is <laughs> yeah but when I met them they were like drinking Carlsberg they looked like tramps they were they were studying at Guildhall and they they were laughing at me when I said oh, I've come here to be an actor they were like have you tripped and I was like no <laughs> Well, so many people do, though, don't they? They move yeah. to London to pursue an acting career or they want to be famous or... And, you know, how was that transition? How did you find from living in... And when we say it was a tiny village, Feckenham 500 really, people. Yeah, it's yeah. tiny. It's 800 now, I checked the population. Yeah, because they built a couple of estates on there. Oh. But, like, posh housing, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, there was 500 people and my one side of the family has been there since at least 1538 mm. and no one's left like you know and I and all of us were always me and my brothers and sisters were always like Luke Skywalker you know just looking yeah. out to the double sun to yeah. leave the planet and it was being so close Got to Redditch as well like Stratford wasn't so bad but 
Redditch is, you don't realise how bad it is until you've lived somewhere else. Do you know what? <laughs> and, and, and it's I've funny. got to disagree a little bit because I actually like Redditch. When you mm. think about some places in Birmingham with all the knife crime and things like that, I actually feel quite safe in parts not, of Redditch. Look, 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 I'm not saying about the roughness. Mm. It's not the danger. There is a massive fighting culture here that I've never seen anywhere else. Like a fighting, there's like a... a a broad you mean the attitude the attitude yeah. but it's not I, I that it's you. the fact that there's there's such neglect for the arts and stuff and yes you know completely. like they demolished all these bars that i mean led zeppelin is from redditch of course and most people from redditch don't even know that they and don't no, but they have put i don't I know, know john you know, bonham, john bonham it, yeah. are absolutely i used to tell a story about that to give when people say what's redditch like i used to tell a story and it was about the millennium because my friend's dad was the mayor of redditch mm. and they said right we've got some lottery funding and they said, well, we've got, I think it was like, let's say 200 grand, I don't know, 100 grand, whatever it was. Mm. And uh, said, like, we've got uh, these choices. That, and it, they narrowed it down to two. And they said, we can build a statue of John Bonham yes. and have a, um, a little museum so that we encourage tourism in Redditch. Because heavy, a lot of heavy metal was born in Redditch and a lot of it famous was, people yeah. from bands are from yeah. Redditch. Or we can make 20 foot needles, which commemorate the 70% uh, the of the needles that we used to provide to the world. And since and the that's millennium, what that's what they did. But they've made the John Bonham statue, which I'm really yeah, happy about. Yeah, which is um, a lot of thanks to um, John Bonham's sister, but also... Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, good. Deborah and good also um, Clem and Sam Dalloway, who are really good musicians in Redditch. They really funded for it for a long time. So I was immensely proud of that moment because, you know, Redditch is slated for a lot of things, but there's also a lot of good things about it as well yeah i mean i joke uh, the thing so is I, I used to say when i okay for the first few years i'd say i'm from a place called stratford upon avon did you yeah and uh it was because if you said that when you're in the midlands if you said you're from redditch to other people in the midlands mm. they would judge you in a certain way oh god yeah completely and kind of justly as well you know there's a lot of mm. there was a lot of assholes when i was growing up like you know including myself <laughs> <laughs> um, i wasn't gonna say i'm yeah. joking but no it's certainly true <coughs> um but it but then I started to realise if I don't start saying I'm from Redditch, which is the borough I'm from, and mm. Feckenham is part of Redditch, whether I like it, you know. Or not, yeah. Yeah. It's um, like Castlewood Bank. My family, a lot of my family are from yeah. Castlewood Bank. They're not, oh, they think they're they just... They are from Redditch. They, yes, yeah, but they're yeah. not always Castlewood Bank. I'm like, it's Redditch. Yeah, it is Redditch. And, and the further, the more you live away, you realise how small everything, you know. Yes. And, but it, it's, it, it, it's... With regards to it, me admit... I started... I started to admit that I was from Redditch and saying I was Redditch because I wanted to inspire people like me. I thought someone might be 15 and they might see me or, or my brothers or, or other people who are doing really well from Redditch, which I know quite a few, you know, are in, yeah. in the arts and they live in London and stuff and like Sam Cotton and people like that and Rob Bagshaw, Aaron Wheeler, you know, these guys were all doing really, really well mm -hmm. in, in London and I wanted them to inspire people or to be able to inspire those people who are like us. Yeah. And maybe you can change things a little bit. I mean, when we were growing up, the cinema disappeared for one of the biggest towns in it the UK. Awful, wasn't it? And the cinema disappeared for what, 10 years? Yeah. Maybe more? And uh, there was no, there was just no art galleries or anything. Nothing. But there was all these people who I knew who were in pubs playing music and they were all like, and they were singing and you were singing. I remember you were doing a lot of music with that guy, I can't remember his name, but there was a lot of acoustic stuff and you were recording and yeah. yeah. And there was lots of art going on, but there was no nowhere to facilitate it. And I think exactly. that, and I think that the more that people like us, like you're doing a podcast, say, "Yeah, we're from, I'm from, I'm Redditch. from Redditch," and uh, we're not all 
um, thugs or we're not. No, we're not. not. There are decent people in Redditch. And definitely. I'll tell you what people from Redditch do have though. Great senses of humour. Yes. They love pissing each other to. off and winding each other up. Yeah, yeah. biggest, biggest wind-up merchants yeah. ever. Definitely. Um, so, obviously the transitional period from obviously living in such a small village to London. Did you fit in well? How did you find it? Did you find it? Because, you know, a lot of people... My granddad moved to, to London um, and ended up coming back. I know a lot of people... That, the Polish one? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that's not true. He lived in London first and, the, and then... And lived See, I know Emily as Chods because her, her, maiden, her, her maiden name is Chodoninsky. It is Hodoninsky. Hodoninsky. Yeah. It looks... And I pre- pretend... I can admit this now. I pretended that I couldn't pronounce it, so I was just called, said, like, is that say Chods? Like, you know... I knew it didn't say that, but like but it, it just caught on like a house on written. fire. Because she did the big mistake that people do in the Midlands, not just in the Midlands, but in the UK. She was like, oh, please don't say that. And as soon as you say that in England, that's your name for life. People still call me Chods. Yeah. Even Mark calls me Chods. Really? Yes. <laughs> My own husband. That's great. But you know yeah. what? When I grew up with a Polish surname, I mean, you know, it, I did get a lot of flack for it. Yeah, I bet and you that's did, yeah. why. Well, I used to, everyone got flack. I used yeah. to get flack for being called Butler. Yeah, but, yeah. but Hodoniski, you know, yeah. I was trying to learn how to spell that as a kid. It was hard yeah. because it's it's pronounced Hodoniski, but spelt Chodoniki. But to be fair, when I know you couldn't even spell apple or... <laughs> this is true. Or hello. Or the. Or the, yeah. She yeah. used to pronounce the, just V. That was it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Now, anyway, the transition period. period. Yeah, was... I, I was an adventurer, and I was worth... No, yeah. no new experience has ever really terrified me. I've always embraced it, even if it's bad. Mm. Like, if, like my car blowing up, you know? Yeah, it's still part of the, adve- and, and, and the adventure. Journey. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I was just like... I felt like... Because I've always had this idea of self-importance, or I have a purpose. Yeah. And uh, I always, that uh, would be a piece of advice I give to everyone is never, no one should ever lose that. Don't let people beat I like that, that out of you. you know. I like that. You beat me to that question because yeah. I ask everyone, what advice would you give to people that. I oh, give loads. That are, say, loads. struggling and have had bouts of depression or might not believe in themselves or might have people that don't believe in themselves but want to pursue some kind of and make a difference to the world, like become a musician, an artist acting you know they might think like, even you, if it's a... like me oh i'm from redditch i'm never gonna make it yeah but you exactly do. yeah can i just say for the record yeah go on um obviously james has done very well with his career um and has done lots of different things but what is now it landed apart in coronation street yeah as james woodgate yeah. so you know the dreams are possible yeah and you know determination never giving up it does pay off yeah, there's a, like, I, I'd say that that's linked to my mental health as well. Is like, there's only one period during this last nine years that I've been doing this is, is, was when I was really low and I felt everything had gone. And it was the only time I was ever close to giving up completely. But I'm glad I didn't. And I had supportive people around me because I was always the guy who never gave up. So yes. it was like exhausting to not be that guy in a way as well. Because mm. I was always the, uh, one of these people where I would inspire other people as well and be like, come on, pick yourself. You know? Yeah. And um, and then I just couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't have anything, mm. anything to give. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. But I'd always had problems with my mental health, really, mm. ever since I was a kid. Looking back. Yeah. But I didn't really know what it was, and mm. wasn't until you really went through it and hit the dark patch. Yeah. So Curry came along, uh, like in 
I think it was, I auditioned off and on for like three months mm. and it's a character in a wheelchair and I had that because of my accident yeah. I had. Which we'll talk about. Yeah, 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 that. fine. Um, and so I had experience in a wheelchair. That was why I got, you know, oh. initially. Yeah, yeah, really. They were looking for a guy in a wheelchair and then they just kind of fell in love with me. And, and I tell you who what, they are coronation. Who wouldn't fall in love with you, James? People who hate wouldn't? me. People really hate me. Do they? Yeah, like when people, some people really hate me. Like, like who? I know some people in the office who used to hate me. People hate me, like because <laughs> they do definitely. I think maybe I rub... it's because they don't get you, and you often find because hate's a strong word. You often find that when people yeah. are like that, um, it's usually a reflection on themselves. It might be that they might be jealous, or because you're comfortable with who you are and what you want to do, and you're confident about that. Yeah. Some people aren't comfortable with that, are they? But I'm not entirely like. For example, I could. I was thinking about what I would want to talk about to tell other people, is that I've my weight has always fluctuated, mm. and usually it's been to do with sadness. Like you know, I used to, and I didn't realize I was emotionally in stuff like this. You know. Mm. Um, so I'm not always comfortable. I'm very comfortable with who I am. Yes. I feel a lot of guilt a lot of the time, and that's something that I've learned not to feel. Mm. Uh, from being very blunt, I'm very blunt, and uh, from getting into needless arguments about things. And, mm. But I've I've kind of mellowed a lot over the last couple of years. But I think that's made possibly some medication as well. Yes. You know. Yeah. Which I was stayed away from, like it was the plague, and then now I'm like. You've embraced I, it a little bit more. I totally embraced it because I didn't have an option mm. and then ever since and now I'm kind of feeling a bit more like oh I'm ready to sort of back off a bit but I don't think I'll ever stop seeing a doctor now because I realize patterns that are bad for me I'm very obsessive yeah you know things like that I, I'm very ambitious and I can't I find it hard to let things go mm. not so much anymore kind of going off on one a bit here no that's completely this is the, this <clears> is the whole point of of this podcast is to get to know people and get into the you know, delve into the brains of people that have suffered, you know, that do suffer with mental health. But, you know, I've come out the other side, so that's the whole point of this. So being okay. an open, as honest as, as yeah, possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that, like, I never experienced social anxiety until 2017. Mm. That was the first time I ever felt that. I used to get hangxiety. <laughs> it's hangover anxiety. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. That is awful. Yeah. When you wake up in the morning and you're like, like I needed yeah it's just like it's like what happened the night before but it's also for me like the I don't dread. get it anymore it's like the dread of like I can't go outside right now um and I really want a milkshake <laughs> from McDonald's yes yeah, but no one is around to love me and do it yeah because of what happened the <laughs> night like before I, yeah but also yeah. that I can't do, you just can't I feel like I can't do it now I can I make myself do things on mm. on on Sunday and things yeah but public anxiety I, I had that yeah and, oh my god but that's surprising because like... you're probably you're saying things as if it's unimaginable that i would have that but to it's me awful. it's surprising that you would have that yeah. because you're it... an outgoing sort of yeah but loud very mine. annoying person you know? <laughs> so. but yeah i remember the first time i had it out in public yeah and i just i did not know what was going How old on were you? um I was in my early 20s i want to say i was, so I was at the standard, standard. When I was we standard newspapers oh. yeah um and it was actually on a works day. And I bumped wow. into somebody that I hadn't seen for a long time. Mm. And that was it. I, I felt like I couldn't talk. I, my heart was, I'd got heart palpitations. My hands went sweaty. And I just left. I went to the toilet and thought, maybe I'm ill. And then you had diarrhea and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to leave. No, yeah, so, no go on, sorry. Go but on. no, I did. I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I, I felt really hot and sweaty and... 
but that probably was an illusion because you see yourself differently in the mirror when you feel anxious or depressed and i didn't like what i saw either no but look if uh, no one's seen it emma is a beautiful woman and she always was so i'm sure yeah you're you're one of the lucky ones imagine if you're ugly and depressed (laughs) (laughs) this is true i felt ugly that day but no it's awful isn't it yeah um i didn't know what was happening but then i I had given up smoking, ironically as well. That's probably it. So I think yeah. it was a combination of things. So yeah, I did have to have the patches. You'd have a cheeky one when we were drinking though, wouldn't you? you know, oh, yeah. I'd love a cheeky cigarette. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I was thinking, just thinking back then, just drifting off a bit, because um, you were really boring. Um, was, um, <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. Um, but was there something that my dad, uh, my dad said to me that's always stuck in my mind? And the funny thing is about my dad's advice is he usually forgets that he's ever told it. Yeah. And I like, just oh, remember when you said that, and he's like, "No, I can't remember at all." <laughs> no, ne- ne- almost never he remembers it. I'll give you two. I'm going to give you two examples right okay. now. Well, one of them is about I think is a really good piece of advice for every human being, and I always tell them, is, is don't waste air, don't waste your life by asking questions that you don't care about the answer to. Like, don't say, how do you, how's your kids, if you couldn't give a fuck about the kids and can't even remember their names, like, just don't bother. <laughs> like, you know, just ask a question like, where did you get that shirt? Like, you like the shirt, ask where you got the shirt. Like, I you do know. that a lot, even to strangers. Yeah. And it gives them a boost. Yeah. Because I'm like, you know what, I really like those shoes. Where did you get them from? They look amazing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, really, do they? But mean it, like, mean you know the question. No, I do, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I want to know where they're from. Yeah, that, yeah. because you don't ask questions that you think you want to you think you should ask you know ask questions that um do you just really care that thing. you care yeah. about yeah whether you care about the answer to or we're just going blah 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 and what's the second yeah. one the second one is the one that i'm so surprised because uh i'm, I'm going to give a lead to this one because all my brothers and sisters had dad apart from the youngest two i think had to ch- this chat with dad that just reminded me on my 18th my dad gave a little speech and he said he said i'm really proud of uh, my son uh, james and the man he's become and it only seems like yesterday that he was a sperm swimming in my ball bag before I ejaculated him into his mother's vagina. Oh, he never said that. So. He did. Um, and then, but then... What's his name? Paul. Paul. Paul, we've got to love you. Yeah. He, he, he's given now, a lot of Now, when there's blunt, and then there's blunt, I mean, the, the opening speech on you... He's just funny. He's he way is. more sensitive than any of us, I think, now. now we're really? All. Yeah, yeah, but he's... He's funny and so he deals with his own... how many of those of you again? Six. Six of you. Yeah. Oh, shall I tell you the other thing? My dad sat yes. me down and I think, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was about 18 or 19. And we literally went to the room, like his bedroom and sat there and he, he went like, he said, do you want to know what is the key to mine and your mum's relationship? And brackets here, my mum and dad have a very loving, very incredible, special relationship. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go on then, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he me. just went like... Make yourselves have sex at least once a week. <laughs> Brilliant advice. And, and I was like, oh, God, God like that. And he went like, no, no, no. And he said, like, even if you don't feel like it, you don't feel attracted, he said, have sex, it will make you closer. It will make you feel better about yourselves and you'll have a kick in your step that like you won't... You, that you, you know, didn't have earlier. That you didn't have earlier, yeah. He said, like, even if you don't want to do it. And all of us kind of have that. He doesn't even remember saying it. Doesn't he? No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build that in. I might, you know with my children one day go that's yeah. the secret it is i think that's it is secret. as well because i've tried to live by it but it's quite hard well there's a lot of people in a lot of relationships that exist and mm. there's not that love and there's not that connection so all joking apart I no think but he's saying even when you're even when you don't feel connected you feel distant or maybe you're even pissed off with each other i'm talking about in a relationship really yeah. but you 
you should do that because well, the, you know the physicality is very important. The best part about breaking up is making up. That's oh, a good the, way to yeah, make it's true. up. Yeah, it is, yeah. So there's something in it. So we've massively gone off on a tangent. Sorry. So London. Shall I stop pursuing, saying sorry? No, yeah, stop saying sorry. because right. Sorry. <laughs> um, pursuing the acting career. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you've done, how you landed the um, part finally in... Well, we'll get to Corrie after because something happened, obviously, to James, which was a, a life-changing incident. And then he landed the part in Corrie. So we'll save the Corrie bit. Okay. But... Tell me about, obviously, your time in London, pursuing the acting career. You've done an awful lot, and obviously, um, you co-own and direct Little Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, with with, with my brothers, brothers, really. They're the main ones, yeah. And um, I've watched... Um, World, World of Beercraft. World of Beercraft, <laughs> Clark Cable. They are dark comedy, Yeah. Um, and they're brilliant. And they really capture... Um, Comedy, but also Midlands comedy. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, we've always tried to do that because we set Clark Cable in Tamworth, and if you're not from the Midlands, you don't even know where that is. No, so we we set like where the, there are nobodies, and people sort of made a comparison to Alan Partridge, but he's really not like Alan Partridge. He's he's really crazy, and um, it, it, the, but also World of Beercraft. I wanted to capture something about the Midlands that people don't get to see. I mean, since you've got to think like since I've. Since we've been doing this, Peaky Blinders have come out. So there's only, there's a little bit of interest in the Midlands from the rest of the is. world. But there never there was before that. Never. And, yeah. and, that, and you know what? I absolutely love Peaky Blinders. Yeah, and I think it's does. done a lot for the Midlands. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. It's the, made the them take them seriously. Bit, the accents oh, yeah, were a little bit debatable. Yeah. They got better. Yeah. They got better. But the I've only seen one series one and two, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, fuck, that's just reminding me of something. I nearly got a, a chance to have a drink with uh, Cillian Murphy. Don't, with because my... I, I, I fancy the pants off Yeah, him. he was doing a show. Did you hear about this in London? Yes, and my mate, who's, who's, an, who's, who, uh, who's, was, who's an opera singer, I probably shouldn't say his name, actually, but like he, he was drinking with him like every night, and they were just oh, smoking don't... cigars Why and drinking. Why didn't you invite me down? Because I wanted to get in. I was like, yeah. you don't realise, I wanted... it was the first person I've ever asked him, and he he's never asked me, actually, I don't think. But... but uh, where I was like, I really want to meet him. Yeah. He's one of my heroes. I think he's a Same great actor. Here. I think actor. he looks brilliant. I think he seems like a good bloke. Mm. Like, I know he likes a drink as well, so I thought we'd have a lot of fun. Yes. Um, yeah. There's still time, James. Yes. And if you go, you're, you're bringing me as your plus one. I will. Okay, I promise I will. Oh, I mean, really? Okay, here's, okay. You, you said about the transition. Okay, I'm going to try and so, rein yeah, it back acting, in a you're, bit. Yeah, your acting career in London. What? I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Okay. I didn't know um, I didn't know anybody. I did, there was no one there, really, especially who had anything to do with acting. I was stabbing in the dark. My headshots were ridiculous. Um, they were just me smiling uh, that John, my brother, had taken in the, in the toilet in our toilet at home. Um, Brilliant. Uh, my CV just was school plays and 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 uh, a couple of little balloon things that we'd done. And for months, I was just doing these shitty roles, and I call it the draw. And I think all actors have got this, and it's full mm. of like DVDs and films that you're really ashamed of. Okay. So I've got, and I'm never going to show anyone. Uh, there's one in particular where I was I was supposed to be a weed addict because at that point I had a beard and long hair. Um, so that was one of my big casting or murderer. One really? of the funniest things is that in the first like four years of my uh, my acting career, I was cast as a rapist four times. <laughs> oh my God, that doesn't say a lot. Does no, it? it doesn't. Yeah, my first breakthrough role wasn't yeah. Corrie in, as as far as like London yeah. and acting goes. It, uh, for the it's kind of level where you're not just doing student films was um, 
playing Kieran in the Irish Curse. Okay. And I loved that play. I, I got the main part in it and it was at the Stag Theatre, um, which is really famous. And uh, my character was called Kieran and it was the whole play is set in one room with a circle of chairs. And it's just a group of men, uh, a support group for men who have small penises. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. So I have, uh, I use that still as an audition piece. Like the, really? one of my speeches, one of my monologues okay. in, in that, yeah. Um, and just in case, because people might not be know what a monologue is, a monologue is your, your the paragraph or a few paragraphs that you say on your own, usually at an audition or in the film or in the part where, in the you know near the end of the film where the character starts to explain their life on their own, they're looking through shades and you know <laughs> and the shades of a blinds of a window etc. Yes. You know that's a monologue. Okay, so that was your that was your breakthrough. That started that got me an agent and started getting me work. Yeah. And at that point, I did really I was doing really well. I got a part in Hugo. Um, Martin Scorsese's Hugo. Yep. That's where I met Martin Scorsese and Ben Kingsley. Wow. And and the, the woman, I, I forget her name, she's in Peaky Blinders, she's the mother in it. I met her as well. She was lovely. She was the nicest out of all of them. Not the aunt, Polly. Oh, the aunt, yeah. Oh, she's a brilliant actress. Yeah. yeah. I've seen her in um, Penny Dreadful as well, um, uh, under the series with uh, Eva Green. Absolutely fantastic. If you ever. No, I haven't heard of it. But Penny, Penny Dreadful, yeah, she was in that. She was, she was really good in that as well. Yeah, so I got to meet lots of people there. My part got cut, unfortunately. I'm in the film still, but okay. my, my little bit got cut. Um, but it was amazing. It was the first time I'd ever stood with these people who were partially my heroes, like yeah. in particular Martin Scorsese. How did that Martin feel? Martin Scorsese is one of my heroes' biggest... Mine too. I mean, I can't I'm very good imagine at, it. I'm very good at pretending I'm not nervous. Mm. Um, but I get nervous all the time about stuff like that. I, I, My I'm heart like was beating that. 100%. Yeah. And, but I was never speechless, especially when he was like... It was when he said my name and I was like... Wow. And I thought like for a second I've made it. <laughs> yeah, this is it. He said yeah. my name now. Yeah, I'm going to be on... Me. No, I remember thinking I'm going to be on IMDb now. That's what wow. I, I remember thinking that and my heart was just going... Bubble, and you can bubble. see me in the film because I give it... I, I'm like Ben Kingsley's hand kind of thing. Mm. But you don't get my my line and my bit and stuff like that and the bit with the wig we did a bit with a wig you know mm. um but it was incredible that was my first thing that I was in that was a hollywood film yeah where you just found <clears throat> like yeah everything that i've done but i'd only been doing it then for like seven months really yeah wow i mean some people that go to london to do what you've done to pursue acting they never get it no i know people and i'm not going to name anyone but i know people comedians and actors who have been doing it for 40 years and they've still the highest are still not as... Yeah. I do think there's a lot of choice in that, though. I mean, everyone would mm. hate me for saying this, but I think I'm being able to write and filter, at times, quality control mm. and not to be desperate, not to get desperate, just to be like, I need to make this work without taking something in desperation. Yeah, that it's was really going to be one of my questions as well, sort of... You know, from meeting Martin Scorsese to, you know, all of the bits and pieces that you've done, you always stay manage to stay grounded and who you are. Like I haven't seen you in years. We talk you all say the that. time. I mean I could tell you a couple of stories, but like... you you still are James to me. And Yeah, I'm still um, James, yeah. You know, is has there been times where you because obviously you've you you've got little balloon. Mm. which is what you do with your brothers and it's it's genius it's brilliant and you always come back to 
parts of like the Midlands and Feckenham or Ringborough or wherever to film those parts. Mm. So it's almost like you've never forgotten your roots. Because there's something really funny about the Midlands. That's why. Okay. It's because we grew up finding the funny things about the Midlands and then we could have pretended to be Cockneys, we could have pretended to be something else. Mm -hmm. But we're not. We're also very much ourselves and we, we, we like... I mean, my brother Uber, like, he's he's incredibly well-known now and he's still Uber. And, uh, you know, it's not like he became a cunt. He's always been a little cunt. <laughs> <clears throat> um, you know, and uh, we, we've... These, in particular, people from rural areas and that this, like... You know, this pigeon-chested, mm. furrowed brow that a lot of lads from Reddit have that are just like, oh, you going with my I'm like, yeah, it's family lock, kid or lock, you know. And it's just yeah. like everything like it that. Is, and then it? you get the, the farmers who are just more like, they look more like bulls. They've got almost got hunchbacks and they're kind of like, you know, oh, do we'll do craft. They're just like, oh, I'll take you giving. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Oh, I'd seen you in ages. Yeah, want to be a log? You know, that sort of thing. And, yeah. and that these the people are really funny. Yeah, they are. Um, and, they, and, people, and the rest of the world isn't exposed to them. So we felt like, um, number one, we thought, it was, we thought it was funny. And number two, yes. we felt like, we feel like we have a duty to like share these people with the world because it's a part of England that is not seen. Like a lot of our following is from New Zealand and Australia and places like that. Um, and I haven't worked much with Little Bloon over the last couple of years. I've, made my, my, I've got my own production company called Moonshine, which hasn't been launched. This is actually the first time I've said this publicly, but... And I'm in post-production for the first feature film, which is called A Morbid Fascination. A Morbid Fascination. Yeah, which is uh, about two guys who live in a cemetery. And one of them has moved there as the groundsman and he's there. He's been through trauma and he's depressed. Okay. And the other one is crazy. And, <laughs> and they also live with a vicar. It's a it's dark comedy again. Love yeah. it. Well, that's what you're brilliant at. I think is is the dark comedy. I can't not write it. Everything, even when I start to write something that I think is really poetic, um, it ends up just being a dark, dark comedy. comedy. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll find a character that I really like, and then I just start coming up with lines. Evolving it, and then, and then I think the natural humour comes out, doesn't it? Yeah, and the and the, and the dry um, sense of humour. So yeah. we are now going to talk about what happened to James in two thousand and seventeen. Um, I think James was at a pretty low point and decided to go to Vietnam and um, consequently um, things didn't pan out there and you did suffer a life-changing incident. So if you want to sort of elaborate as to why you went to Vietnam in the first place, what was happening with you and your mind? Yeah, I was in a relationship and that was kind of going great, but um, I was living with someone, I was, but my mind had gone... Um, and it start, definitely started with depression, which I periodically suffered from anyway, because I was diagnosed with bipolar when I was younger. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I, I had a lot of faith in what I was doing, and I've always been an all-or-nothing kind of guy, and I committed everything to the little balloon side of things and everything like that, and I realised that I'd lost control because on the other side of that, I am a control freak, mm. and... Um, it kind of had a massive impact on me and there was other personal things going on as well um, uh, and that had a massive impact on me and the depression led to suicidal well initially it was self-harm which I hadn't done since I was younger mm. um, and didn't even know it was self-harm <laughs> you know when I was young it wasn't really did you hide of... it though the fact that you was doing it I didn't used to cut myself when I was young okay I used to do other things right it was more about the pain so I'd hit myself Okay. Or I'd hit scratch my 
where it wouldn't would leave. I was always still very vain. So I was like, yes. yeah, so I was like, I don't want scars on my arms. I don't want scars, you know, there's things like So I'll like do that. it where it's a non-visual. Yeah, or it was like, I was from a town where there was fighting, all the, well, Redditch was just fighting all the time. So I'm not joking, when I was at school, sometimes I would give myself a black eye mm. and I'd just lie that I was in a fight. Really? Yeah. But the, the release of that pain actually did something to me. It released mm. endorphins and made me realise it made me stable in a str really strange way. Mm. Um, but I then think that's why self harm then becomes more addictive to people doesn't it i wanted to sort of talk to you about your feeling from a man's point of view and this is a subject that i've talked a lot about to people because it's quite a worrying statistic with the amount of male suicides that happen and the age that it happens at as well um what do you think from being a man um what what more needs to be done to encourage men to start talking um i know we were talking earlier about the whole you know men feel it hard to say let's go for a coffee it's usually oh let's go for a beer and then you don't get that bit out so what 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 are your feelings on 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 this worrying statistic and what more can be done to sort of encourage men to start talking to stop these suicidal feelings happening I think it's a really serious problem and I think it is, um, the best way I can put it is that men don't go for coffee. And what I mean by that is they don't just say, I need you or I want to chat. I don't mm. necessarily mean they love cappuccinos or they miss cappuccinos yeah. or only women yeah. get to have cappuccinos. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of signs that you can tell and you can actually save someone's life. I mean, I had someone very recently, a friend of mine who committed suicide um, and I can't say that I didn't have an idea, but if there would have been some sort of sign or, f or formula um, that was already existent. And I think possibly it, mm. you usually have men who are deep thinkers or deep feelers or they're passionate um, who aren't, don't have that toxic masculinity that we're all, you know, we hear thrown about all the time. Yeah. They're millennials and they're, they're sensitive people and they want to be modern men, but they just don't know where they fit in and they don't really still don't really know how to say I need help mm. and I think if we came up with something along the lines of um, I don't know like a an emoji that was like either I don't know something like a lemon or a a plaster to just it, instead of someone just saying like I need a pint and someone on the receiving end thinking oh he wants to get pissed again and stuff yeah. like that um, they actually need you they just want to hang out and they'd be happy if you just said can you why don't you come around mine mm. and watch tv with me yeah um so i'm thinking like something like that i know you mentioned yeah i saw something on social media about beer mats because that is usually what men do yeah let's go to the pub let's have a beer and it was it, it was it was icons like emojis of actually to flip this beer mat over i'm actually struggling rather than saying the words, and then it kind of starts the conversation off. Mm. And I completely get what you're saying about the whole, yeah, oh, he just wants to get pissed again, and the pub isn't always the right place to say, you know what, I'm struggling, I'm not feeling That's right. That's it, there or... isn't a place. Yeah. That, so when a lot of men are saying, uh, do you fancy a beer? They're trying to say, I need help. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that they necessarily want to go to a pub and have a pint. Yeah. They just need to hang out with you because they love you and they want to know that they're loved. Or yeah. that they, or they want to be, 
listen to and well not even that actually because depression is so much more than that a lot of the time you don't want to talk about your depression you just need someone around you need someone to be present mm. um and when they're not around and you feel down it feels like they don't love you yeah and you feel alone yeah and i think that's a lot of um the reason that men don't speak is because maybe they do feel alone they don't they feel this shame and i really want to try and de you know stigmatize the fact that men do feel ashamed but there's nothing to feel ashamed if you need to talk to somebody do it if it involves you know an emoji or something like you've suggested i think that's a really good way of sort of you know i'm actually struggling or mm. yeah uh, uh, along those lines so um you know did you feel that when you were struggling um and was in a really dark hold and you spent time in the mental hospital did you feel that benefited you yeah i felt did you feel um, release when I was in the hospital, I felt safe yeah. um, and comfortable. Um, it wasn't scary from the outside. It probably seemed scary and strange and, mm. and embarrassing is a big thing with yeah. depression. Um, I felt safe and I was actually more scared when they told me that I could leave because mm. I thought, now what do I do? Um, and I'm back out in the real world. And also I did feel that embarrassment that uh, all my friends who had instilled so much and, and uh, invested so much time in me, um, they're going to want some a piece of me that sort mm. of thing and i don't have anything to give um but the the hospital was very good for me it didn't wasn't immediate or anything but it made me feel safe for the first time in months yeah which um, is important yeah i mean the food was awful <laughs> okay yeah yeah hospital food the shepherd's pie was ridiculous it okay. was just like uh i don't know a grubby puddle <laughs> with a toupee of mashed potato balanced on it that's not going to do a lot it does mind. actually for your bowels it does <laughs> not maybe not for your mind or your taste buds no is it shepherd's pie tonight yeah oh shepherd's pie on oh okay. yeah that's right. <laughs> but um but the main thing is there is that you felt safe you got the help that you needed and then when you came out how did you then you know sort of adjust to obviously you know those worrying feelings of oh god am i going to be all right I'm, the people around me what are people going to think or did you get to a i was most worried about no i always cared and i always felt like a burden um and i in particular to my girlfriend at the time um she was always incredibly supportive and yeah. i just wanted her to leave me <laughs> that's mm. the best way i can put it i was just like i just thought i was putting her through hell um and it's funny because the only thing I thought about a lot of the time in there was her mm. um, and how much I loved her and things like this. But I, it was so difficult to articulate things when you, you can't even really articulate how you feel. Mm. Mm. Um, but afterwards I realised that uh, I was on medication at the time and I still, yeah. I still am on medication to a degree. And you find that helps even to this day? That was something that I steered away from for some sort of pride and yes. some sort of like misplaced snobbery um, and some and like I failed if I take medication. Whereas uh, one of the people in there said to me, look, if you were diabetic, you'd need uh, insulin. So you're I depressed. You need, um, you know, you need serotonin. Of course. And you need other things as well. Like I wasn't sleeping and stuff. So that that was all important but I realized I went back to what made me feel good after the last time I felt as bad as this mm. and it was traveling so I decided to uh, go on my own without my girlfriend or anything to Vietnam which 
most people who knew me were completely against. But right, that but was... that's something you felt at the time yeah. that you needed to do. You felt safe. You'd come out of a really dark hole. You were still finding your feet. Um, so you went to Vietnam, but mm. unfortunately that didn't end well for you, did it? No, it was about halfway through. I got um, I was on a motorbike, which I love doing in Southeast Asia. And now I got hit by a cement truck in, well, it wasn't a cement truck, it was a rubble truck, but I can't think of what a rubble, there's no such no. word for a rubble truck. And I got hit by it and um, it was very serious. And I thought I'd shattered everything. You know, I was like bleeding very heavily. My bone was out of was my you, elbow. Was you conscious? Uh, not, I blacked out for, it must've been only a few seconds. Mm. Uh, and then when I was getting up, there was two farmers who came over. Yeah. And one of them uh, got me up and they, they were like, you, I couldn't walk. So they picked me up together and then one of them pulled my, my motorbike out, out of the roadworks, which I got sort of tangled up in. Yes. And my foot had been run over by this truck uh, and, uh, you know, there was blood everywhere. Oh, gosh. And uh, he, he got my hoodie and he tied me to his back and he got, used my moped and took me to, first of all, we went to like a convent that was all sort of doctors yeah. and they couldn't do anything. And then we went to another one and they couldn't do anything. And then we went to this, then I went to this hospital and... It was in a place where there was no tourism or anything like that and it was very archaic and they operated did three operations on my elbow and it was without anesthetic or anything and then gave me morphine you know wow. <laughs> which was and it was dirty there was feces blood lizards spiders um the bed wasn't even a bed it was actually uh like a garden rail on its side with a doormat on it so that was wow. my hospital bed yeah. Uh, and I was, and I honestly didn't feel sad or scared. I just felt really happy to be alive. Yes, I suppose when something as serious as that happens to you, you do. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully you do. I think you'd be incredibly ignorant not to. Mm. I think that you've you've got to really take those moments and live by them. And I've always tried to, mm. but sometimes you just can't help but feeling sad and and hating yourself really gosh completely i mean i've been in really difficult situations as you know um yeah did it because one of my things that i'm grateful for in life is the birmingham children's hospital and i think you know when you're in a hospital like you what you, you was in vietnam did you think and realize how lucky we are in england oh yeah yeah 100%. it does make you realize doesn't it yeah 100 percent. and it was like because uh, I've been in a hospital in Thailand and that was amazing. Mm. Uh, but the, the ones in Vietnam were very, very, very archaic. Like even when the crutch that they gave me, because I couldn't walk without yeah. a crutch. Even the crutch that they gave me, it was so short because it was down to Vietnamese people that the longest setting didn't even have a hole. Wow. So mm. this guy had to drill a hole in it to put it up and I was getting splinters from using it. That's, it was one of these ones that you would genuinely have seen in like World War One, World War Two, mm. you know, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I felt very positive, but the, the problem was it was mixed with my, my bipolar. Mm. So I was actually manic. So I don't know so if you really, know about So really, I mean, that. the time frame between you struggling at home to coming out of the hospital, thinking, yeah, I'm on the road to recovery, going to Vietnam to try and find yourself again, and then, you know, suffering this awful accident, which, you know, has had an impact on your life oh, now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. Well, I, 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 the, the biggest thing for me, I, I say now that it was the best and worst thing that's ever yeah. happened to me because it really did, in the long run, um, help me. Um, Corrie is a good example of this yes. like, because I 
thought I, I remember thinking to myself like I, I'm I was certified disabled at one point mm. and well I still am but like the um and I f found it very hard to believe like that's not my that's not who I am because I was even before like re regardless to ever how fit I was I always felt very physically apt yes and like confident physically mm. and uh like a presence yeah and then I suddenly go to this like hobbling kind of I can't walk and I don't really understand what's going on and your body. It, it becomes more complicated than they thought it was initially. It ends up being my spine and my nerves and all this sort of thing. And then there's um, something in my brain that that's, that's still being investigated at the moment. Um, that, yeah, that was, that's, that's tough because you have to, and it felt very lonely as well, mm. but, but it felt, but in, instead of beforehand when I was depressed and just making toast was hard, I was so determined to get, to get through it. Um, and my ambition and everything saw through it and I, I regained my creativeness mm. and then someone saw World of Beercraft um, yeah. someone from Pershaw actually really and she's one of the biggest agents in in London for disabled people okay. she does other she has other people as well but she also has disabled people and she saw it and she contacted me and said she loved it and she thought it was brilliant it is um and i released yeah i mean i love it it's the best thing i've ever I've made held. Yeah. Me and my mom watched it and i just absolutely loved it It captures the midlands dry sense of humor with how men are yeah brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. and they uh, so she's and then she got me and then ever since then she was sort of putting me forward i remember the first thing i asked her as well when we were having a conversation was um are you sure i'm disabled enough <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, and she, you know, she did that, she laughed, yeah. and I was like, I'm being completely serious. I said, I don't feel like I deserve to be, you know, I don't deserve to be, be here. And she was like, listen, this is, this is who you are, this yes, is what is, totally. you know, you can't walk without you, a stick. At that, at that point, I was walking 100% pretty much with a stick, and sometimes in a wheelchair, sometimes I couldn't get out of bed, like, you know, um, sometimes for days, like, you know. Mm. And, How uh, did you adapt to your life around the physical changes? How did you, I mean, obviously, you know, you've suffered with depression, did you? Meditation. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. More than the drugs, because after that I had lots of painkillers and anti-inflammatories and things like that. Yeah. Um, meditation every day because, and it wasn't to do with the pain so much, because the pain is always there. Mm. Uh, it was to do with the control of my frustration with the situation. I'd gone from being someone who would always go like, no, by the way, I'll pick it up. And always being very strong physically, you know. Uh, to, I can't do that. And so you had to channel your... Yeah, and I always felt very... I'm naturally a protector, I suppose. I was always like someone who physically would fight for someone, physically, yes. you know, it, to look after them, or or mentally and emotionally as well. I'd want to look after people and make sure they felt loved mm. um, and encourage them. So that and, must have uh, been difficult. But... Yeah. So meditation was what got you through. Yeah. And it wasn't like an immediate fix. It took a long time. Yes, meditation does. Yeah, it? if you you have to do it every day. Yeah. And if you don't, you you will notice after about three or four days, you'll be like, I'm pissed off and I'm tense and I don't know why. And then you realise I haven't meditated for five days, mm -hmm. and then you go back into that. And I myself, I'm not I'm not the same as you. Like I'm I am an atheist. Like you know, I'm uh, I'm not just talking about religion. I mean, as in like I don't really feel anything like that I believe in energy in that sort of way and, yeah. I, and it, within its own form I believe in the human soul but um, 
but but conditioning the mind and relaxing the mind and trying to find somewhere with the mind and find positivity and what you truly want and what you're in control of and what you're not in control of that's really important for the day-to-day -day things definitely when you're struggling to open a fridge to and to make toast because mm -hmm. your hand is shaking and you keep burning yourself or dropping the toast or dropping the butt you know whatever or cutting yourself by mistake um you can just go to that place that you do when you meditate and yeah. just be like so whereas a few years ago i was raised to go oh for fuck's sake <laughs> like you know and whereas now you meditate no i don't i just go it's, yeah, my control. it's fine just pick it up put it in the bin start so again. you've learned to have patience yeah so it's helped me but that and that's helped me with other aspects as well and yeah. realized other ways that i was possibly intolerable to, mm -hmm. to people um in a realistic way not in my sort of guilty depressed stage i mean in reality yeah um and also what was very interesting about the therapy side of things was with the bipolar was I didn't want to be medicated for bipolar when I was younger because I believed that the manic side, the ups were so good mm. and so happy and positive that that was worth having the low points. So did they outweigh the low points? Yeah, but it's not that because someone said to me, do you think everybody else enjoys your high points? That's what they oh, really? said. And I was like, yeah. I said, yeah. And I was like, well, wh what happens? And I said, I said, well, I'm usually very energetic, you know, and then I started thinking about it and I thought, I quite like climbing trees when I'm like that. I quite <laughs> like, I, I possibly drink a lot when I'm like that. I, um, I feel like I want to set the worlds to right. I feel like I feel indestructible. Mm. There's been times where I've like, when I was younger and I'd rush into a fight against, this is a true story. Like me and, one of the, and I was like, there were seven people and you know, and uh, you took on seven people. This isn't just one time. I'm talking wow. like people who know me like yeah. would be because I felt like I'm a superhero. Mm. And that's, that's when you feel the high. And I realized that's also bad. And that's when I decided that it was a good idea to take medication for that yeah, as well. To balance it out. Yeah. And ever since my life has been so much more calm and I've been more calm. Mm. And it's everything really. It's not simple. There's no silver bullet when it no. comes to suicide. That was an unintentional romantic pun, but it was quite beautiful, so you can keep that. We'll keep it. <laughs> it was beautiful. So um, the lady that helped you? That was Louise Dyson. So she was from Pershaw. So going she's back got, to... She's, she, she manages a, um, an agency called Visible or Visable. Visable. Yeah. So she helped you get the part in Corrie? She put, definitely put me forward. Okay. And since then, that has changed my acting career Lovely. and also opened loads of doors for me for other things because she also... Um, opened a door for me for my writing for the BBC and stuff like that. Fantastic. So, um, which is all really ongoing. It's not, I can't really deliver anything good to you uh, for anything truly tangible yeah. until it's all settled. And of course. All, you know. Yes. Um, so in like the summer, uh, at some point, I have a meeting in Birmingham BBC for about writing and stuff like this. So, because I said, just because I'm from the Midlands, I'd like to write an episode of Doctors as well. Brilliant. Just for the hell of it. Yep, just for the hell of it. <laughs> yeah. And you'll be brilliant at it as well. Yeah. Um, so but Corrie, my life changed from her yeah. being an agent. She saw World of Beercraft and then my uh, it changed. Corrie's ongoing. James Woodgate. It was funny because by the third episode, they, they give me a name and then all the cast on Corrie were like, oh, you're going to be in it now because you've got a, you've got a surname. Oh. So it was like, and they are the loveliest people. That's what I was going to ask. What are they actually like on really, set? Really, really you know, lovely. They're down like, to earth. Down to earth, lovely, kind, patient, supportive, funny. Um, exactly what all the, everybody says about them is true. Yes. Um, and I was completely surprised because I've gone to other jobs 
mm. that have been quite high profile and it's been full of not that. Right. You know. I get you exactly. So that Corrie's opened up a lot of other doors for you. What um I think we had a conversation earlier where you said, you know, you didn't just want to be tied down to becoming a massive Corrie star because you've got your you know, you you are musically talented, you're artistic, you know, there's lots and lots of Yeah, I like of... to paint. That painting's for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's like totally for me. Yeah, that's your hobby. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is is I've ended up getting paid for it. <laughs> but like <laughs> As uh, you do, you yeah, yeah. if you're good, you're gonna pay people. It's true. But I do like write, painting people riding ducks, that's what I do mainly. Okay. Um, I've seen this. Because I thought it was funny. Yes. Um, people think that it's like when people are really looking at it as art, they, they can't laugh about things. They can't just go, oh, that's funny. It has to either be like, interesting, I see what you're doing there. And it's like, no, it's, <laughs> no, just, it's just some funny. people riding some fucking ducks. Like, you know. It's as simple as that. There's yeah. no hidden agenda. That's in it. it. That's done. It's like, it's like, but finding the right duck for the right person. For example, I had someone contact me, a friend, who said like, would you paint me riding an otter? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> No, I said, but it's, not I, a duck. I, it's not a duck. And I said, like, and also I choose the duck. And then he said, what about a seagull? And I was like, are you not hearing what I'm fucking saying? <laughs> okay, so let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. If you was going to paint me riding a duck, what duck would it be? Mandarin. Do you know what that is? Well, it sounds amazing. Let me just, like, while, while you're being recorded, let me just show you what it is. And this is what I would... Because I think it's, it's got to be your spirit. It's not necessarily what you look like. It's your spirit. A mandarin duck. I'm liking the sound of this. Okay, hold on. Hold on While he's um, just Googling me a picture. Just Googling it. Oh my God, beautiful. Yeah. Colourful, beautiful. Bit of ginger in there. Bit of ginger in there. Bit of blue in there. Bit purple, of purple, yeah. Bit of pink. Like purple breast. Yeah. I'm, I'm very... I'm... That's, that's dedicated to the bruise that she has on her breast that I can see right now. <laughs> Emily, <laughs> please, lying. please put your top back on. This is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's just, it's just me being in your presence. So, <laughs> obviously, with everything that you've done, what would you say that you're most proud of? World of Beercraft. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't even have to think about that then. No, because that was my first thing that I really did on my own and without my brothers or without other people. Mm. And I knew it would be good and I knew what I wanted. Um, I knew the tone and what I wanted to capture. Uh, I didn't intentionally, uh, intentionally, uh, like, create the formula whilst we were filming it, but I knew the feel and it got that, and I knew the music and the... Everything. I felt all that, and the, yeah, and uh, and I knew I wanted to capture these two characters from Feckenham. Yes. Uh, that uh, it's not entirely them, but it's about 70% them, uh, from probably the 90s, and they're both called Terry and Malcolm, and the characters are called Terry and Malcolm, and I dedicated the show to them. At the end of every episode, it says dedicated to Terry Simpson and Malcolm Cooks, uh, two of the most ridiculous people I've ever met in my life. And I used to work with them when I was young on the farms and things like that and in the butchers. Um, I am working on A Morbid Fascination, um, which is my first feature film and my independent um, production company away from Little Bloon is called Moonshine. Okay. So all that's being done at the moment. Um, World of Beercraft will almost 100% continue to be Little Bloom. So by the end of the year, we'll probably have filmed three more series of that and a podcast as well. Fantastic. Um, where it's going to end up is, is that's where the ambiguity and where the negotiations are coming from and stuff. And it's to do with 
what it was before and the money and all this sort of stuff but like it will be it's going to be made by the end of the year like fantastic um and it's the funniest thing i've ever made and i'm really proud. happy with it proud of it yeah well i'm proud of you um you've just done so well for yourself and you've got a real passion in you've for humour and you've really put everything, your heart and soul into it. And you've done so well. And considering, you know, obviously what happened in Vietnam was awful. Um, but I think you've also learned a lot from it as well. Mm. You said, you know, obviously your karma, you know, you, you manage things with the whole meditating, you know, I think. I used to have a ter terrible temper and you never get rid of it. You just learn how to manage it. Yes. And uh, I believe that if I lost that, temper completely i would lose my passion mm. um but that's like worry or stress like you kind of kid yourself that it's a necessity to who you mm. are and you you attribute it to hard work and passion but it's not really productive yeah it actually isolates you it makes you feel like shit of course it does um and yeah i'm, I'm i i there's a lot of shame around my temper um and no one's perfect james we've oh no all, i know that we've all got but i do all. believe i do yeah. believe that you can't just accept who you are if you have like Flaws. you can love who you are and love yourself that's different to accepting you being a bit of a wanker every now and again yeah. i think you should always try and like fine tune it you know of course and, we all, and i think as the older you get certainly i have i've learned how to control my emotions mm. you know i'm somebody that doesn't normally hold back on how i feel can i just say emily's kicking a boxing bag right now <laughs> as we're talking i do do martial arts but that's actually helped me channel so many emotions that I have in such a good and positive, calm way. Mm. You know, most people think, oh yeah, you know, she's black sash, you know, people think that people that do martial arts or boxing, they're cocky, they've got chips on their shoulders. It's not the way, like martial arts for me, um, really makes you find out who you are and it makes you channel the energy in the the energy that you've got in, in the right paths, in the right Do you think forms. it's, um, did you, was your initiative to do with anger or self-defense or discipline? The reason I started martial arts? Yeah. I started martial arts um, because my brother had always been into it and he'd had a four year break after a really, really, really bad time in his life. And I saw an advert, canvassed it as we were in sales. Canvas. Yeah. Can we explain, have you already explained what canvassing is? No, actually. Cam so cam yeah. yeah, go on, now you go. So You're canvassing is basically when you, we worked with the Redditch Standard newspapers and we would get the competitor, which would be the Redditch advertiser, and we would canvass the adverts that wasn't in our... So it literally means look through something yeah. and, and poach, yeah, the pages. poach the customers. Poach the customers and propose and try and get them on your, your, for your publication or for what, you know, whatever you're doing in that. Yeah, point. so I canvassed. And funny enough, me and Emily were very good at it. Yeah, we were. We turned the end section into something very, very... Yeah, big. special yeah, and big. big. Do you remember that? Movie? tiny, wasn't it? Yeah, because I did Brom... There wasn't... It didn't exist in Bromsgrove. Do you remember when yeah, I did Bromsgrove? Yeah, I did. Yeah. But I've got customers now that still... Say me? No. Like, like, like Essence of Bengal. Because when, like... when I left, I said... I called every one of my customers individually and said, burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin, oh, mine, not mine, lovely. I didn't really. They were <laughs> no, all over. No, mine did. I, I mean, I got great business. So yeah, so I canvassed the advert, and it happened to be my brother's old kung fu instructor, the Lao Gar Kung Fu. Um, so we went along. I went along just to support him, and I giggled the whole way through, not being able to do a sit up or a press up, and having no coordination. That was the biggest struggle for me. 
you don't realise like basic walk and punch and kicking and having a guard and being in a left fighting stance and a right fighting stance and all these different things, basic um, kung fu skills, it, it's coordination and I had none of it. But I carried on and because obviously my brother is a kung why, fu expert, Why did you carry on? I started to enjoy it. But what did you enjoy about it? I wanted to do something that kept me fit and the initial was because of my brother. I wanted to support him because that's who I am. It's my family. Um, but then I started to go home and do the sit-ups and the press-ups each day. and started So it was the discipline? Yes. And the fluidity, maybe? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. I, I was never, ever good at being told what to do. I was a rebel. I was a wild child. Oh, I know that, yeah. And I had to listen. Yeah. And I actually thought, yeah, I could learn something here. Because you do. You shut up and listen. Mm. I've been interested. I've never done it myself. I did it when I was a kid, but I, for, that's why I'm asking you, because I know you're someone with a temper. And you probably <laughs> spent your life learning to manage that. Yeah. And um, what people... It's funny because the rest of the world, when you've got a bad temper... You, you I'm were, smiling, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But when you've got a bad temper and the rest of the world sees you as having a bad temper, they mm. get away with losing their temper, but you never can. Mm. Uh, because they know... They've seen the worst of you and you don't want the worst of you to come out. And I always, I'm always fascinated with people who have conquered that and not just either accepted them about themselves or indulged it and yeah. been an angry bastard. Yeah. And... Um, and found a discipline or a way completely um... I mean there were reasons why I was angry and had a bit of a temper but yeah yeah, and I found that yeah I I think listening was one of the biggest things that I had to learn Um, but I knew it was doing me good Mm. I didn't probably looking back now I probably didn't know it at the time I just knew something was right with it and every week I'd go and I'd improve and honestly I've got my instructor can I take an observation that I think it might have been I think you found something that told you what to do and you didn't mind not rebelling against it. (laughs) Possibly. But my instructor, and he's come in on this podcast and you can ask him, he said he didn't think I'd make it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. Fuck him, man. No, no, not in a horrible way, but just because of how I was. Yeah. You know. In what way? Loud, talkative. Right, yeah, yeah. You know found it hard to listen, you know, mm. and channeled certain energies, but I did. And mm. he saw something in me and yeah, I did very well. Good for you. And he has been an absolute rock through that for me. So Kung Fu definitely helped. And, you know, with things that have happened in my life, I've had breaks from it, but I've always gone back to it. It's mm. always helped me and it'll always be part of my life now. Mm. And there's a lot of meditation and Tai Chi and channeling your energy in in Lao Ga Kung Fu, people think it's just self-defense. It's not. No. It's so much more mind, body, and soul. So when you was talking about meditating and and have and that's how I would feel if I'd miss a lesson. I'd mm. feel like what what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And then yeah. you, then in retrospect, you'd realise oh, it's because I haven't done that. Yeah. And you know the worst thing you can do then is be like I'll start on Monday because the I'll start on Monday club never fucking happens. That's <laughs> so true. Yeah. Nailed it in <clears throat> one. So true. It's. It's great when you're there. It's just getting yourself there. Yeah, you've got to be. You've got to start tomorrow. Being like I'm not doing it tonight is different to I'm not doing it tomorrow. And yeah. then tomorrow you get up and you've got to do something different. Uh, exactly. You know? yeah. And that, that goes for people who have temper problems, weight problems. Like yeah. for me in particular, like if you have like, um, or the opposite, you know, like you've got to you, you've got to do it. Learning to live day by day, and to um, 
to null your low boredom threshold is mm -hmm. a big thing. Massively. Because boredom is a big part of all this shit. You of course know. it is. Um, you, you know, you live a life. Not having a worth. You we're know, so, we're, we're in such a, a fast-paced society, in such a routine. You know, we get up, we go to work, it's all about... Earning well, we get up and look bills. at our phone. Oh, the phones, yeah. social media. Oh, I had a break from it. I had a, a, like a detox. I always it's a brilliant like, thing, but it's also Well, I always feel like thing. if I do that, that, that it's one. So I'm like, <laughs> no, I need to reassess my situation. You're tapping the phone, like looking at it, scrolling Scrolling, yeah, yeah, scrolling. But I, I, I yeah, mean, it becomes a bit of a game, yeah. doesn't it? Like, you will not beat me tonight, phone. You will not. When I know I'm getting bad is when I'm scrolling, looking for things that will irritate me. Oh, really? So then I'm like... Stop I know he now. said that, and he does my fucking head in. And then I'm like, I need to, and I need to delete him as a friend. I always think that. And then I'm like, oh, look what he's saying there. Look what he's saying. That he's doing my fucking head in. Yeah. But I, then I, I think if I delete him, I've lost. <laughs> so I'm in, oh, a no, I'm in a battle with this random stranger. No, I've well, got a random stranger. Is it? Like I've gotten over that. I'm like, you know what? If if I'm getting something negative from somebody on social media, unfollow. Oh no, he's not negative. He it barely just, interacts just... with me. I just hate his posts. <laughs> I just hate his post. Okay, fair enough. He does my head in. Like, just delete. I'm in a war, endless war with this man and he doesn't even know that I'm in a war with him. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's like a cold war that you and, don't even know. And this is what social media does to our brains. So. But I've always been like that. I remember in the office, I'd be like, sort of before mobile phones, there'd be someone who would be like, I need to take that guy down. <laughs> I need to take him out. Yeah, I need to take him out. He's a bad egg. Yeah. You know when there's, you get a vibe. I get that vibe. But am I the bad egg, you know? You, you don't know, do you? How do I know that I haven't been walking around somewhere and someone been like, I need to take that guy down. <laughs> but egg. really, I'm the bad egg. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't think so. Battles. No, I don't think you're a bad egg. No, I don't think any. I don't think we are. No, definitely not. Yeah. So, um, just reining it back to um, obviously opening doors with Corey, everything that you want to do now. Aside from, because you're on the go all the time. Yeah. There's always something that you're doing. Yeah. And I can't not be like that. No. Yeah. But there must be times when you think, you know what, I need to switch off. What's I... your happy place and what, what is it that you just feel complete calmness and happiness? I love gardening. Um, I really, it's something that I only started doing last year. I loved gardens, but I hated gardening. And mm. now I love gardening. That's definitely... What changed your mind? Because... I advice. absolutely love gardening. Advice. It does so much for me. It was like, plant this, see water it, see how you feel. And it was a house plant. At first, I used to kill them, all of them by mistake. Yeah. And then it just sort of, pun intended again, branched from there, branched out from there. It evolved. Yeah, yeah. And, the wonder uh, of nature. Where do I go? York is a special place for me. Yeah. That's because it's completely the opposite to London. And I love London. That's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Um, it's where I need to be, like, yes. you know, um, and, but York is special, great pub life, great people. Um, I love the friendliness of it, the anonymity of being in London. London doesn't love you. London, mm. you've got to, if you want something out of London, you've got to put it, put the effort in. Yes. Or you won't get it back. Definitely. It becomes incredibly lonely, lonely and depressing if you don't. York is completely opposite. Every pub wants you in there and they want yeah. to talk to you. Welcome. And, it's not that I, I've never been someone who's desperate for friends or to be liked or loved. I definitely am not like that. Mm. Um, I don't care who likes me and who doesn't unless I really love them. Yeah. Um, but being in a friendly atmosphere, stood at a bar in York is my place of bliss. 
You just feel happy. Yeah, or backpacking, experiencing oh, scuba diving. That's number one, actually. So I go scuba diving at least uh, once a year. And as soon as I'm under that water, every worry, everything like that goes, especially when I'm swimming along coral reef. Oh, yeah. And you see sharks and you see all I've sorts of things like that. I've done that in the Great Barrier Reef. It was oh, really? Yeah, I loved oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did it as well. Yeah, it's Barrier an amazing reef. experience. In fact, I loved tra- travelling for the time that I did in Australia and New Zealand. I didn't even know you went. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did. No wonder you're such a well-rounded human being. <laughs> Thank you, James. I'm going to take that as a compliment. That's all right. I, no, I, 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 of course, I meant that you were fat. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So those are the things like scuba diving. And, and again, that's nature. I, yeah. I think that, you know, people that suffer with mental health, it's like, you know, when people go, oh, just go for a walk. But actually, like I was in a dark place and started walking. And then you realise you're in a cave and you saw the end of it and then you realise it's light and yeah, I'm fine. pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I just walked, just went out one day and just went walking for miles over the countryside, ended up in Feckenham. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to walk up the big hill because I didn't know the lanes way and kept on coming back on myself. So you know the big main road mm-hmm. leading that leads into Astle Bank. I walked up that in the blistering heat. But I was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I was I was knackered by the end of it, but yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I think nature has an important part to play, but I think you've got to find which nature suits you, because I'm from the countryside and you're from the countryside. Mm. Yeah, every, everywhere here, you might think we're in a town, but we're surrounded by countryside. We're in the Greenery, countryside, yeah, you know, woods, and uh, that might that to me that was a little bit boring. I suppose mm. by the time I wanted to travel, but then yeah. as soon as I see a desert or I see the ocean you've got to find your your nature it might be animals it might be anything mm. but I do think there's a balance there because I also find like for example watching films or playing computer games incredibly therapeutic yeah I think it can become a distraction where you become obsessed with it and you become like it becomes a distraction and yeah. switch off and obviously in particular a lot of guys you know they lock themselves in a room for days playing computer games yeah. and it's just a distraction but if you're really enjoying it and and you're um it's an adventure to you as well. Mm. It's like being a submersed in a novel for me. And mm. I think it's always about that balance. There's, like I said, there's no silver bullet, I don't think. No. Um, I'll definitely um, find escapism in films. If yeah. I'm in a bit of a... And new music as well, like me. As oh, well. that was more one thing that I said on a podcast I went on um, on Monday. What were my three grateful things in music? Definitely. Yeah. I don't think there's a day that goes by when I don't listen to music. Mm. Yeah. Definitely can. I um, listened to a podcast with Fern Cotton and Sam, Sam Fender. I didn't know of who he was. I don't know who he um, is. But afterwards, and, and how he spoke about his album and how he wrote music um, and composed music, he was just such a down to earth guy. And he described this one song called Dead Boys and told what it was about. And I had to listen to it. And I've absolutely fell in love with the album. And it's like another bit of music. And when I find a new artist or a new band or something, yeah. I just don't think there's a better feeling. It goes back to my dad as well. Like my dad's sort of constantly saying when we were teenagers, just going like there's like everybody ends up saying and what it used to be. And he said, even when yeah. I was young, people were saying that about the Beatles and about these ba- like Bowie and stuff like, you know, oh, yeah. and you've just got to keep looking. Like, it's just like, yeah, there's, it's more diluted now because we don't have four TV channels and we have infinite music but like that doesn't mean it's not there there's not incredible incredible music and for me there's still a massive reward in finding someone new yeah um 
and loving them because they're always there and you've just got to keep doing it. Mm. And maybe you might be that person one you day. You never know, you never yeah. know. So obviously you've experienced stardom and <laughs> have you been recognised? Yeah, quite a lot famous? actually. Way more, way more. I'm not famous though. Um, I'm not, because I feel like I haven't really done anything. It's other people that tell me I've done lots. Um, but I def I've been I've been recognised a lot, particularly in Manchester um, and Birmingham, and York as well, and in London I was recognised. But you don't get recognised much in London, mm -hmm. I don't think. No. There's a homeless woman I remember. She just went, James from the wheelchair, like that, and I was like, oh, oh. all right, how you doing, like that, and uh, she went, yeah, yeah, and then she said, oh, no, 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 I just want to, I want an autograph, and I was like, and it was the first. It wasn't the first autograph I've been asked for, but it felt important. Yes. And I was so busy. I was on my way to the BFI for something, for like a meeting. And I, uh, I said, I'll come back, I'll come back. And then I left and I had to be in this meeting for like an hour. And then I was like, I went and bought a little card. Um, and the card was really good. And it was just a cartoon of Will Smith's face. And it just said, willpower on it love it yeah and then inside I drew a picture of me and said like all the best blah 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 and by the time I got there she'd gone but I oh. went I put it in a slot where she was where, where she'd been begging basically yeah. yeah no she was no there was no stuff there but I thought maybe she'll come back because I promised myself I'd be really nice to people um if they did um and I find it very did. difficult because I'm I'm very confident and outgoing and I've always sort of acted like I'm a Star is the best way to put it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I've always acted like I'm. Honestly, the best way, like I'm, I'm, I'm special. Like, and I've always felt like I'm special. But when you, when I starting to be recognised, it actually started to make me feel very uncomfortable. Um, but then I promised to be nice and to enjoy it, try and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't really have an interest in being. I really don't have an interest in being famous. I, I, I'm in. I, I'm interested in influencing people or bringing people like happiness or something to think about or laughter or um and meeting shitloads of people i love meeting people mm. and making new friends um but um the fame side of things i'm just not really interested in you just want to achieve what your dreams are whether yeah. that brings you fame or whether it doesn't yeah and that uber's way more famous than i am yeah like uber's properly doing ted talks and talks mm. all around the world like he you know um for the the vice, the vice stuff that yeah you know um and i so, think he struggles with it a little bit as well does he? yeah so have you had to sort of combat any negative comments from people along the way how do you do you become hardened to it with obviously dealing with you know bipolar and mental health and obviously your, your life changing accident do, do some you... of them some of them hurt some of them get get yeah. to the point but human. in particular on social media um one of the funniest ones, a lot of them I repost myself because I find it funny. Okay. Um, like someone said um, about my, when I was on Corrie, they were on the feed mm. and it just said, is this guy the love child of Bobby Ball? <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, I know where you're coming from. Like, you know. uh, so I reposted it. But then there's others that have upset me, but I sort of thought um, I would deal with it in a way where I just ignore them because if you acknowledge them, then then they kind of win. I've really had to adapt what, yeah. since I've been doing sort of a bit more high profile, I've had to adapt how I 
approach social media a bit. Yes. I would have said fuck you to a lot of people a few years ago, and then now I don't. I just ignore them. And that's I think that's because it is. It's hurtful. And you, I think these people forget that you're still a human being and you've got feelings. But I think, I think the opposite. Silence, I think they revel in it. They do. I think that they love the fact that you're a human being and they want to hurt you and mm. upset you. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it is. It's just awful. But I think silence is definitely the best answer to. Ignore people. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give them the reaction that they want. Well, I've never, I've very rarely given, because I used to, well, I still can just talk someone down. Mm. You know, I can be like, fuck you, this is my fuck you, and, and yeah. blah, 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 and be able to pick someone apart and make them feel like shit. But in the long run, I've very rarely felt good about myself after that. Yes. And I want to I put things into the world that are uh, um, positive. positive and yeah. good. Or, than... need, or needingly negative. Like, you know, if it's about death or something, then I want it to be meaningful. I don't want it to be like tit for tat bullshit and about winning or losing. It should be about the content. Completely agree. Yeah. Couldn't have put it better myself. Um, so to end the show, mm. what three things after your brilliant career and life um are you most grateful for except your friends and your family what three things are you most grateful for in life it's changed a lot over the last couple of years um but number one is that i'm not paralyzed that's number one yeah um because that really was a fear of mine for a while gosh yes um and that's a very strange thing um the, the ability to communicate well um through and I don't just mean my communication to other people, I mean my interpretation of things. Yes. Music, art, um, conversation. Yeah. Um, all of it is a skill of mine. Definitely. And it's why I was a salesperson when I was younger. It's why I was, you know, it's all these things that I was never able to sort of put together and then communicate in a in a in writing or a script but I knew that I had that in me you knew you had the skill and the ability yeah but on a social level as well but now I write a lot and I'm very good at it mm -hmm. and I'm very happy with my standard and I have a very clear unique voice and I'm happy for, for that for my career but also on a personal level that I can um I, my my level the communication yeah on, on a very broad scale but to do with my interpretation and my skill as a communicator definitely and then number three, mm, I feel like that. I also feel like I slightly regret the first answer because someone's going to listen to this and be like, "What's wrong with being paralysed?" But the thing is, is like that really was. I'm really grateful for. I mean, I maybe know. I should rephrase that. No, I think I think most people, you know, would would understand that if you, you know, have been in a a life threatening accident and you're faced with them being paralysed knowing what it's like to walk and not be paralysed, of course, naturally, you're going to be grateful yeah. that you've come out being, still being able to walk, but you've still got your struggles. So, uh, you know, I think that set that straight. I think I, mine's really simple, number three, is I'm grateful for, for planet Earth. As far as we know, this is the only place in the world where there is life as we know it. Oh, gosh. And all the animals and the oceans and the people, um, I... I really do feel that's what in that's what makes me feel as close to cathartic as I could ever feel is just like every every tiny thing not just us has the power to change this Doesn't life adjust. and it's everybody thinks it's really fragile but it's equally and way more stronger than we give it credit for as well if we disappear the earth would carry on and it will for billions of years and it's a beautiful place and 
whether the concept of beauty was, is within our own minds or whether it, this is just a beautiful place, this I'm grateful for the planet Earth and all the people on it and all the animals. I absolutely love that one. I think that's one of my favourites that I've heard so far on this show. Um, absolutely everything that David Attenborough stands for with planet Earth. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. And mine. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's everyone's his name. When he goes, it's going to be awful. Yeah, like... Do you remember, when we, had a, do you remember when we had a, uh, a, a wake for Steve Irwin? Yes. And we all wore the black bands. Oh, Steve I remember Irwin. that. He's oh. going to be, it's going to be like that times a million. You know? Oh, gosh, completely. Do you want to hear a fact about David Attenborough, actually? Yeah, hit me with it. Okay, so he's seen more of the planet than any other human being in the history of the world. Mm. And then at first you think that can't be true. Mm. But then you have to think that the aeroplane was only truly invented in, what, the 1920s? You know, the, as we know it now, mm. commercial flight. So he's the first one to be able to do it in certain amounts of time. And then you think, like, he's been doing this since the late 40s. Yeah. And he's then you just think, like, 19... oh, my God, he's seen... 93, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Very amazing. He yeah. is an amazing guy, and we've got a lot to be thankful and grateful for. Um, so the last question, um, what is your don't-look-down affirmation or favourite quote in life? What's the go-to quote that you always that always springs to mind that brings you back to reality or whatever it is it would have to be something to do with being inspired to live um, and I would say Oscar Wilde um, people who are bored are usually boring people <laughs> and I think that's a good incentive to Brilliant. not to not be bored and someone and a lot of people especially if you you have a quick brain you know or you think deeply and feel deeply um, you tend to get tangled up in um, the fear of boredom or just like, I don't know what the fuck I can do with myself. <laughs> it's so um, true. And I think that's a really good incentive to just be like, if you if you complain about being bored, then make it interesting. Yes, definitely. Your life or someone else's. Yeah. yeah, we've all got a choice, haven't we? Yeah, so I'd say that. That's the first thing that came to mind anyway. And it's brilliant. I love Oscar Wilde. James, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank I you. I hope you've enjoyed it as yeah. much as I have. Yeah, I have. I've really enjoyed it. So that was James. Brilliant interview, thank you. Or Doc Butler, as some people prefer to call him. Now, James is also going to be releasing music soon under the name of Marley Banks. And I'm going to play two of those songs for you today. I know that they're both about his breakup and his depression. They also show both sides of his personality. The first song that I'm going to play you is funny. The second is both sensitive and sad. Uh, I hope you enjoy them as much as, as I did listening. Thank you once again for listening. And here they are. Have a little listen. Hey. Why, Genevieve, my dear, what's wrong? You'd like me to turn off the light for you? But Genevieve, my dear, you'll lay right next to the light. Oh, you silly goose. Of course I will. I would turn off the light for you. 
Have an impromptu fight with you Go kill all parasite for you Because I love you, Genevieve Boop, boop, be-doo I would go and eat owls with you Brutality growls for you Walk on sanitary towels for you Because I love you, Genevieve Come right above polar bear with me There'll be ups and downs, smiles and frowns And always bold memories Procrastinate, pontificate, it's all fine and free Just climb up on this fat bear and adventure with me I'd eliminate time for you Down Caprinia in line with you Pay for Amazon Prime for you Because I love you, Genevieve, boop boop
minutes of his gaze She's so grand Devour body to invoke Her praise and her guise Still sways 